You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. That's it now. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and maybe Amanda today, guys. Um, baby girl is with us and she is not terribly happy and you might hear her squeaking a little bit from the other room she has been loud enough to come through the wall a time or two here but it is definitely nap time and she has passed her nap and dad screwed up and let her sleep a little bit at the end of church and so she's all kinds of crabby trying to get her put down today so in the meantime we've got me and uh and i have with us miss regina smithwick today and regina is an author she has a workshop uh, she's a podcaster. She has a live talk show that she does on on social media, and one heck of a story behind it all. So, Regina, how are you doing today? I am fine, Jason. How are you? Thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me to join you on your platform this afternoon. Hey, I'm glad you could come out here today and and join us. and And we really wanted to just uh, be able to to give you a minute and let you highlight your story a bit here. And, and just tell us, how did you get involved in our world? You know, we do foster care and adoption stories and, and talk to people who help kids and who help parents. And it sounds like you not only have a story, but you, you fall into a couple of those categories. So I tell sure us, do. yeah. How, how'd yeah. you get into this? Well, um, this is a, I love talking about this because I think that being, um, I have never been a forced child, but, I, but I've been adopted and I have adopted so I'm on both ends of that. So I do understand that world. Um, and I'm actually learning more as I get to know people like yourself and your wife um, that done this because it comes in different facets, right? It's all different things. It's not one cookie cutter way of adopting or being a forced parent or being a forced child. So we all need to hear our stories because a lot of us don't understand this world. So it's very important to do so. Lord have mercy, you ever right. Every kid is wired so different. I have met biological twins who who were like mm-hmm. night and day, you know, fire and ice, and and so mm-hmm. every one of these stories is so so very different. So so tell us how how did you get into the into the adoption system? Well, um, I was adopted um, after birth, so my birth mother, you know, set it up with uh, uh, social services to have me um, for me to be adopted, and um, my adopted parents got a phone call, you know, when it was time for her to give birth and say, hey, we have a child, um, you know, a, a girl, if you're interested. And of course they said yes, because they was already ready. They did the classes, did everything had to do. Now this is in 1970. Okay, so this is not, <laughs> it's been over 50, over 50, almost 52 years ago. Um, and my parents were groundbreaking because they were the first ones in our family to actually do a adoption out of an adoption agency. You know, a lot of times in the black community, um, we adopt outside, of, I mean, adopt inside our own families. You know, we, you know, people have children, they can't take care of them. You know, the aunt is really the sister, you know, how that kind of thing goes. Uh-huh. So um, that is, happens a lot in African-American families. But uh, my parents were the first ones to actually go to an agency and um do the adoption so that's how it that happened with me so i was three days i stayed with my birth mother in the hospital you know back then you stayed in the hospital a little longer when you had babies you know they would ship you out the next day like they do now so she had a couple days with me and then they took me to the doctor agency in westchester county i was born in harlem in harlem hospital in new york city and then uh, my adoption agency was in westchester county probably 20 minutes up the road um, and then I stayed there uh, until the weekends. I was born on a Wednesday. I think I stayed with my mother until about that Sunday or that Saturday. And then they took me to the agency. And then a couple of days of the paperwork they had to do, I stayed at the agency for about three days or so. And then my doctor parents took me home um, to Mount Vernon, New York, where I was raised. Um, majority of my raising was there. Then I moved to Jersey. So that's how I got into the system. So I was just a baby, didn't know nothing. I had to get the pieces together. Um, 
just recently, last couple of years, I kind of started putting the pieces together how the whole transition happened. I knew I was adopted, but I didn't know the agency name. I didn't know where they were at. Like after I, after I found my adopted parents, I mean, excuse me, after I found my um, birth parents, it was only two years ago. When I turned 50, I did all of this. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. Actually, I was just informed by by uh, one of my kids today that back in the 80s, uh, Redmond going, Greenmont stopped that long ago. And uh, <laughs> I had to explain to him, Deb was alive then. And no, no, it didn't. A lot of things have changed. That's not one of them, boys. That's not one of them. No, yeah, exactly. A lot of things has changed. And the adoption world has changed. I, I believe for the better. Um, I believe that now the families are more intertwined. And what I mean by that is open adoptions are more common than closed. I had a closed adoption and most back then, cause it wasn't as accepted or more taboo-ish you want to say that people just wanted to do it and have it done with and, and go live their lives and don't say nothing else about it. And that you're my child. That's it. You know, we don't need to talk about all the other stuff, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And now it's more the adopted and the birth parents are involved with the child. Like they are in their lives from day one. They just don't raise them day to day but they are welcome to come to birthday parties and welcome to still talk to them. And that's not how it used to be. So, so did you ever have a chance to meet your birth mom? No, she passed away in 2007. So I, I didn't get a chance to meet her, but my siblings are still alive. So I have a good relationship with them right now, but my birth dad is alive. And um, I talk to him every day since I met him two years ago. Oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. Cause that mm -hmm. was going to be my next question because, you know, a lot of times, you know, not obviously every system or every situation is different, but yes, um, a lot of times, you know, we you end up with kids that, that we've dealt with where they know who birth mom is, but birth mom does not know who birth dad is. And, you know, that, that makes it kind of a challenge. And in this world, it's a whole different situation though, with mm -hmm. things like 23 and me and, mm -hmm. and accessory. That's what I used. Okay. Ancestry is where you found yours at? Yes. And you were right about that. On my uh, birth paperwork, it only said about my father was he was tall and he was 21. That was it. She didn't tell him anything else. She didn't give him any more information. Wow. You know, and you don't realize how important stuff. Because Okay. Let's take it back. Most people are young when they do this, right? In most cases, not all, but most. Mm -hmm. So imagine you at 20, 18, you do things that you don't do now, of course, and you're young, you're a child. So you just do what you, you know, whatever your emotions are at that time, how you feel at that time. You're not talking to them at that time. You mad at them at that time. You make these decisions that you don't realize they are long-term repercussions because you, you didn't say anything. You're like, look, tall and 21. That's it. That's all I'm telling you. Wait, <laughs> you know, are you telling me that at 21 years old, you made dumb decisions? <laughs> oh my gosh, you still make them at fifty one. <laughs> I'm still I'm still going with I don't do that anymore because my mama <laughs> listens to this every now and then. I'm, there's some things I don't know if I need to admit it out loud. But it's okay, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm good with it because it's what happens when you're young. I mean, I've been twenty. I know it's just things you do. So I don't hold no grudges, no upset. I'm not upset nothing. It just what happened, and this it, it is what it is. She did the best she could for the, what she had at the time, you know. And that's how I, I take it. But you had said something earlier, um, Jason, that when you do these kind of adoptions, you you don't know what's going to come out of it. You don't know how it's going to relate when it's time for you to try to find your birth family either. You don't know. You just yeah. got to do and just pray and ask God, you know, to make this a good experience. But sometimes they don't want to be involved. They, they do it and they're not good with it inside. They just never settle with it. And their guilt is really does something to them. And they just like, every time they see you, they remind themselves of the thing they did and they're not good with it. So it's not about you. It's not personal. It got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with them accepting what they did. And we take it and we make it personal. It's not personal. You got to put yourself in their, in, their, in their shoes. And sometimes they made decisions on somebody else's. Their parents made them do it. Sometimes they didn't want to do it and their parents made them do it. So you got to kind of think about how they were, you know, and where they were at at that time of their lives. That's the only yeah. thing you could do. Yeah. That, and, and that happened a lot more in the past, I think, than it does in today's world. Oh, yeah. 
but for mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of that stuff where society well we just don't do that or we don't talk about this and and we don't do that and and parents had more control over kids i think you know 40 50 years ago mm-hmm. at least that was my experience you know my parents had the amazing control of a switch and uh mm-hmm. a lot of things we didn't do mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's a whole different world like you said so adoption that's why i'm coming from the old school i guess of adoption you want to say you know even before me you know is even probably was even worse you know they really didn't talk about too much and you know he used to send kids off when they were pregnant you send them off to some somebody's house somewhere. They have the baby. They do the adoption and they bring them back home and you act like they never had a kid. Yeah, it, it happened back then. That's what they did. They just got rid of you and you didn't come back to you after you had your kid. You know, I've always wondered my uh, my grandmother on my dad's side always told us that there were stories that she she didn't tell mm-hmm. um, some family secrets she, she was going to take to her grave and mm-hmm. she did. And I always wondered exactly what that looked like. You know, who was going to pop up on 23andMe one day or on Ancestry and mm-hmm. you get a phone call and go, oh, hey, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. Ancestry says we're related. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny now that those decisions that they made back in the 40s and 50s, they never thought in a million years that we could figure it out. A matter of spinning in a little vow, sending it off to a lab, and six weeks later, you get your whole life sent to you on the app. Literally, that's what happened with me. Literally, thousands of people that I'm related to is on my app a matter of six weeks that I didn't know I even knew. And so when you're adopted, too, you got to think about it, too. You don't know who you're dealing with in this life. You don't know who you're dealing with. I could have been married to a brother or a sister and never knew. Mm-hmm. Never knew a cousin, a first cousin, an uncle. You would never know until you do this, this test and you go, wait a minute. I came to find out that I was in school. I went to college in Virginia. I was actually in school at the same time as my first cousins. We went to the same school at the same time. Wow. wow. They didn't know. That's great. I mean, but but that's that's the world we're living in. So thank God for the technology to help us kind of understand some of that stuff because it is so very hard for, for families sometimes to let go of those secrets. You know, the they want to hold on to those secrets and and own those secrets so nobody else knows what the, what they've done. But mm-hmm. man, uh, what's the old Johnny Cash song? Something about whatever you, what you've done in the dark, it'll come to the light. Come to the light, you know? that's right. Yeah, yeah. Sooner nah. than later. Now <laughs> with technology, sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. Because because even if they don't find it on on twenty three and Me and DNA stuff, whatever you're doing, somebody somewhere caught that on video, in a picture, on mm-hmm. a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, every now and then my cell phone just lights up and starts recording what I'm saying, think acting like it's it's Google trying to hear what I'm talking about. And it makes me a little <laughs> bit nervous that it does that sometimes. Big but, brother, right? <laughs> hey, hey, everything you do is is is, is findable these like days. Like they said, I'll be watching you. Remember the song? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Police, right? I'll be watching you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so we're you know, we don't have a whole lot that we can hide, you know, and, and, you know, Amanda and I, we're an adoptive family as well. And, and so we have kids we've adopted and some bio parents we know about some, you know, actually some of them, there, there's a decent amount that are, you know, deceased. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, there, there's been a lot, a lot of this country that's just been tied up in struggles with drugs and, mm-hmm. and, and that's, you know, there's been a lot of overdose deaths and mm-hmm. I don't know about everywhere else, but the people I talk to things like heroin is just really prevalent and mm-hmm. it's taken a lot of lives and, and left a lot of, a lot of families broken in that way. And so, you know, some of our kids ha- have an, uh, the option to, to spend some time with some biological family, but for the most part, we haven't. We haven't had any situations where it was terribly safe and or appropriate, you know, and, and we're, we're walking those waters right now trying to figure out what that is and for which kid, because they come from different sets of, of biological parents. So every situation is so different. So I know you said as an, as an adoptive mother yourself, you know, how have you walked that journey with your kids? Well, I only adopted my older daughter. Um, she was actually um, my ex-husband's child. So I adopted her. Um, because her mother had some some issues then herself and she was still in amongst the family um she was uh kind of in related somehow with the uh my ex-husband's family so it wasn't like she was on she was around but we just felt it wasn't appropriate for her at that age 
to be in her life because she had a lot of things happening right then. So we knew, you know, we was like, just wait till you're 18. So you'll be old enough to deal with what you're going to have to deal with. And that was our thing. So we didn't want to keep her away. And then to tell you the truth, I didn't even tell my ex-husband I was adopted. He didn't know. I didn't tell anyone. Only people that knew was my immediate family knew, of course. But I didn't go outside of that and tell that was the whole point of me telling people at 50 because I was... I went through so many emotional, um, I had so many issues. I had abandonment issues. I had um, low self-esteem. I had um, people-pleasing issues, validation issues. I had a lot happening with me. And I had had a breakdown in 2019. And that breakdown led me to figure out what was going on with me because I was tired of being tired. I was so tired of living the way I was living. I knew God gave me a purpose to live. I knew God gave me a reason to be here. And I didn't realize how important I was in this universe and how I was here to serve. And I needed to figure out what it was because until then I would have been in, in this unrested state and not knowing who I was. So that all led me into figuring out that the per- reason why I was why I was doing all this stuff is because I wasn't good with my adoption because I was hiding So when you hide anything in life, you're telling yourself you don't love yourself enough to be who you are. So when you do that, it it suppresses in you and it comes out. Anything you hold in you comes out somehow. It comes out in different ways, but it has to come out. There's nothing you can keep in forever. It shows in different ways. And that's how it showed in my life by me not being happy who I was. I was trying to make people like me. And I wanted you to, you know, I wanted you to validate me and tell me how great I was. And I went because I didn't know how great I was. I needed somebody else to do it for me. So when you do that, you do bad selection with friends, with men. You, you, you know, you choose wrong people because you choose them for those insecurities, not for who you are. So that was the step of all of that. So when I figured out who I was in God and I was a child of God and I figured out how important I was in this universe, everything started falling into place. And then I say, well, I need to find my birth family because that's part of the reason why I'm doing all this because I'm not, I don't feel complete. I feel like it's a void in my life. And then when I did that, in a matter of a year and a half, literally everything you told in that bio of me just happened in two years or less. Because now I know my purpose. So now I'm good. And I feel I'm here to serve and help others that's in my kind of shoes. That's why I'm doing my workshop, Ring Out Your Sponge, because my sponge was full of negativity, was full of not knowing who I was. And when I ringed out all those insecurities and all those belief systems and everything that I was um, holding in me for all these years, when I ringed out all that stuff, now I'm absorbing new. And now I'm able to live and I could like actually breathe, you know, like I'm like, okay, I feel like. I'm good. Like I know who I am now. That is a feeling I can't even describe to people, but you could tell people like, oh, I could tell the difference in you. I could tell that you, I don't let things get to me no more. I don't take things personal no more. I understand my assignment and I understand my purpose. And being on your show is, is one of those things that I love to do because I love to let people know it's okay. It doesn't matter. I'm 50 years old. Well, I was 50 when this happened. I'm almost 52 now, but it's never too late. It's never too late to know who you are. And if you're an adopted child and you're scared for some reason to find out who you are because you're worried about your adopted parents, you can't. They know, most of them know where they're from. You have that God-given right to know where you're from. Don't let anyone tell you or make them feel ashamed that you want to find out where you came from because you were born to know where you came from. So don't worry about that. That will fix itself. You just do what's right for you and what's going to make you happy. And if you need to find out who you're from, go find out who you're from. And these days you go to Amazon.com, order a kit, spit in a vowel, and you find it out in six weeks. It's that simple. Yes, you do. <laughs> because, you know, uh, you know, listeners can't see me, but, you know, Regina, I have been asked my entire life, what are you anyways? Right? Because you take one look at me and I have this ambiguously brown look with mm-hmm. dark hair and a big black beard and nobody could, I mean, I have been called every racial slur you've ever heard. And most of them with wow. hate and malice behind it at some point, wow. that's the beauty of living way out in the woods, right? Is that mm-hmm. 
there's folks like that around. I mean, we're fortunate in our area. It's, it's not too bad around our area. Most of the folks around here, I get along with just fine, but, but I don't fit the stereotype that of somebody that, that they want to hate exactly, but they can find one that they want to throw on me. And so I've been, I've been called everything you've ever imagined. I've been told to go back to my own country. Um, most people since, in the last, you know, 20 years or so, it's, it's usually like a middle Eastern type slant that I get, you know, from people and I'm, and I always just give them my best Midwestern country draw voice back because, because <laughs> it hurts their brain to see it, you know, but, but yeah, I had some of those same questions. I'm like, look, you know, my mama's awful white. Mm-hmm. My dad's awful white. And here's the real kicker. My oldest sister, she looks just like them complexion wise. Me and my younger sister and my youngest brother, the three of us, all have this same strange look. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it comes from. I did the 23 in me. And you know what it said? Mm-hmm. It put a circle around Europe and said, yeah, pretty much all of that. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have I don't have much more answers than I had when I started to begin with, but but I, I'm I know that that my family that I grew up with was my biological family. Mm-hmm. because i was there like when, when my brother come home from the hospital and he looks mm-hmm. just like me i've been told that lucky little devil um, <laughs> <laughs> i can say that because he's not here to argue <laughs> but but yeah you know I, I have some stories about my past i know that that when the civil war first kicked off the man who fired the shot that caused the first fatality in the civil war he fought for the north and he was my seven times removed great great uncle or something i don't know um that's you know like but i've got family stories that have been passed down among the generations and stuff like that you know i I have some of those stories and so i have an idea of who i am i had that growing up and it's allowed me to be comfortable enough in who i was to decide who i want to become there you go because you know history does not define future but you have to have a starting place really to foundation start moving from a lot of times. Mm-hmm. It's difficult for people. I know who I am, you know, and, and you mentioned faith a couple of times already. And, and that's been a part of my journey as well as figuring out what my faith is and who I mm-hmm. am and how all this kind of ties together, because I believe God put us in a spot for a reason, right? You know, he picks his time in this place that he put us in and the situation, and he's got a job for us. And I, I'm just kind of curious about, you know, you, you said you, you know why you're here. You know, like you've been given your assignment. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that just a little bit, what that looks like and how you found it? Well, in, in the process of going through what I describe as like the breakdown, and I went to a, a, a spiritual life coach to help me and guide me through. Um, and then in the middle of all of that, I learned who I was. Because one of the questions I like to ask people when I do coaching, because now I'm a certified life coach, because I felt it was so liberating and I was so free. I was like, I want to help others to kind of have this feeling I have. So I went ahead and got certified to be a certified life coach. And one of the questions I ask people is, who are you? You just discussed that. You told me who you were. Do you know a lot of people don't know who they are? They'll tell me. Well, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. I didn't ask you your titles. I said, who are you? And if it takes you more than five seconds to figure out who you are, you need to go see someone. I said, everybody needs to see someone at least once in their lives, at least once. Because if you talk to yourself long enough, you're going to make sense. You know, but sometimes you need to see like outside of yourself and see someone who is, who is biased and, and, and talk to them and see. Are you kind of straightened now? Are you where you need to be? Is it things that's blocking you from being who you need to be? Do you know who you are to even know where to go for the next step? Like, if you don't know who you are, and I'm a, and I'm a witness to this, I was going in circles. I was chasing my tail. Because you can't go forward if you don't know where you, like you said, you don't know where you're from and you don't have that foundation. How can you go forward? But a lot of times we talk to ourselves long enough, we think we're doing this, we're doing right. <laughs> And I wasn't. I wasn't. And I'm trying to say it's everybody's the same way, but think about your life. And are you going street? Are you going places? Or are you kind of chasing your tail? And so that was what made me go into that 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 structure of like, okay, I'm gonna get a spiritual life coach. I'm gonna do my work. I did my work. I did my work. It was hard. It was days that I didn't want to do it because that means I had to face things that I didn't want to face, but I did it. And I could tell you today, 
I had validation issues. I had low self-esteem. I could tell you that stuff now. Now, back then, I couldn't tell you that because for some reason, I thought that the rest of the world was perfect and I was the only one that was screwed up. <laughs> because Welcome after you club. talk yourself long enough, you make yourself believe that because you look at people outside, they're, ex- they're external and it looks like they got it together. They look like they're perfect, but you didn't realize after you do your work, it's like the matrix. I mean, literally. That movie, the way I see it now, and I see this movie now, it makes so much more sense. It blows my mind. When I looked at it before, I didn't get it. But now I see it's like a lot of biblical in the matrix. And the matrix tells you when you're awakened, you can't go back to sleep. It's impossible. It's impossible. So when I was awakened and when I started looking around at other people in my life, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't realize that y'all got issues, too. It's not just me. And it makes you feel like it, it neutralizes everybody and it puts everybody on the same platform because I had everybody on pedestals and everybody else was like amazing and perfect. And I was the one that was screwed up. And now we all on the same level. So I see life different now. We all have something. None of us are perfect. And we shouldn't be looking at other people anyway to validate who you are. You're supposed to stay in your lane and do what you got to do for you. And, and the journey is beautiful because you just gain people through your journey and you learn from them and they learn from you. It's not one is better than the other. Y'all both learn from each other because somebody's better than something than the other person is and vice versa, right? That's what life is about. When I got the whole gist of how life works, now everything makes sense. So now I could go through life and understand why some people stay in longer, some people go away. Some people, you know, supposed to be there, some people are not. And I, I accept it. I receive it now. I get it now. And I think part of my problem is when I didn't love myself, when I grabbed on someone, I was trying to be so loyal to them. I kept people around too long. And, and that was a lot of the issues and drama in my life. I kept people around longer than they're supposed to have been there because I want to be so loyal to them. But because the, the reason why I want to be loyal to them, because I didn't love me and I had to keep you around to show you that I was the greatest person because I got to please you. See how it all goes in together? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a, yeah. a, a whole it's a whole system there, right? All because I didn't know who I was because I didn't know where I came from. It stemmed all the way back to 1970. So what did God put you on this earth to do? He put me on this earth to, first of all, help others that's in this situation that I am in, okay? That's one of the reasons. The other reason is when I realized that I was living this life in this like rat race and turn around and chasing that tail. There's so many other people, especially women that's living this life. And I'm here to assist them and let them know that, hey, you too deserve to live this better life. You too deserve to be happy and to be good who you are. You need to do your work. There's no way around it. You have to do your work. And I know that God, when he opened my eyes to seeing where I was at, we all here to help others. And we all got a special gift that he gives us. My gift is networking. My gift is um, getting people together. My gift is to, I've always been that type of person. I'm very social. Um, I'm very motivating. I always like to motivate people and make people know that, hey, you can do this. Been like this all my life, but I didn't realize that was my gift. And now I'm actually in my gift right now. So now I'm able to help others to see that they are worth working on you can do it so that's what i'm here for you know regina i find that that when people tell you what the purpose is and, and they realize that they're here to help somebody else that's usually a good sign that they, they've actually found a purpose mm-hmm. you know if that purpose is to, to make a million dollars i'm not gonna say that's necessarily your purpose <laughs> well you know million dollars believe- isn't- I believe God them. gives you abundance, right? He wants you to live in abundance. Like he don't want you to be struggling. That's, I mean, but it comes with it. It comes hand in hand. So if you're doing what God asks you to do, he's going to supply you the needs that you need to do that job. You're not supposed to be like, well, I, you know, that was one of my issues too, um, Jason, is I was um, in this humble mode. Like I was like, oh, I don't need that much. I just need a little bit. Cause you know, I felt that I was doing service by humbling down. No. I want, I want it. <laughs> I want it because I can do more for other people if I have the sources to do. How can I do this stuff? How can I want to start 
a sinner or how do I want to travel and, and get to other people and let them know about this good word? Because I always talk about God in my word. I don't, it don't separate. I can't separate it out. Sorry, can't. If, if, you, if, you, if you can't have, you know, me as a whatever, a guest or whatever, if I can't speak on it, it wasn't meant for me to be there because I'm not going to take God out of my, my story. So if it's going to take travel, that takes money, that takes expenses to do stuff. I have to have the money to make it happen. So, yes, I do want it, but I'm going to make sure I serve him in that. You know, and like I said, it's it's that that part where no matter what you have, if you're using it to help others, I think you, you found a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's when when you you want to go make all the money so that you can be, you know, Selfish. have the big luxury house and all the cars so everybody can mm-hmm. come admire you, and suddenly you become your little version of a demigod over here. And I, I don't think that that has ever been God's purpose for anybody. No, no, and it's a it's a line, right? It's a line. Because I believe that you should live an abundance. You should live nice. You should have nice things. But remember why, who you're serving. Remember, he, he wants you to have good things, but remember who you're serving. I think when we start forgetting that part of it, it started taking the power and, uh, and getting really selfish with your stuff and forget why you're there. That's when you get the slippery slope. And that's when you end up being where you just said. Because I think you should have great things. But always keep him first in that. That's the problem. I think a lot of us don't do. Yeah, I, I see that a lot in, in the generation coming up. And lest I avoid the topic of me sounding like an old man saying these kids these days, you know, but, <laughs> you know, it, it seems more and more prevalent in today's society and the younger generations that, that I see more and more kids who who have that idea that that's what, what they're here for. And I'm like, man, no, no, it, it took me a few decades to figure out wh- you know, what I was here to do. Me and, too. and it has nothing to do with, with making, you know, God, God's not interested in building my kingdom. You know, that's, that's what it took. It took me a while to learn that. And then suddenly mm-hmm. I went, Oh yeah, that's right. Like there's a purpose here. He gave me a job. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I, I've worked with a, a friend of mine, um, guy, I've, I've known Joe for probably five years now or so. And, um, Joe's become a, a quite a, a spiritual mentor for me. And he's a guy who's, he helped me work through the, the plot, the process of having a spiritual purpose statement, something to stand up to every day mm-hmm. and put against all my decisions and say, is this, does this fall in line with, with what you, you're here for? Is this decision do you really need to think too hard as to how you're going to make this decision or has, have you already made this one with that idea of what your spiritual purpose in this life really is? Mm-hmm. And so it's changed a lot of me. And, you know, so I, I came through a church that I did not agree with their theology. We'll say, um, but, um, but we'll just, uh, I left that church. And, and when I got to a certain age, I decided I need to spend the next decade and a half doing everything that they said not to do. Turns out there's some great advice in that book. Um, I'm not going to say you can't ever look at a drink of whiskey or wine or beer or you're going straight to hell, but I will say, because I don't remember reading that part, but I did read the part where it said not to be a drunkard. And mm-hmm. I did that part too. And that was great advice to not do it. <laughs> that was a horrible <laughs> decision on my part. Mm-hmm. I made I made a good amount of those bad decisions and I'm walking back into my own faith journey now. And so I'm curious for you, has that been something that's always been a part of your life? Or is this is this something that you're coming into at, at, a, at a new stage in life? No, it actually has been. I was raised in church. Um, both my parents uh, were very into church, and um, we we served we served God. We served in church. You know, my dad was a trustee. He was an usher. He was on the male um, male choir. My mother was in the choir. I used to be an usher. I did the birthday committee. I did the choir. I, I, we, we served, you know, and I was raised in an amazing church in my Vernon Grace Baptist Church in my Vernon, New York. And I love my church and my, um, my, my pastor's family and everything else. I did that for 25 years until I moved. And after I moved, you know, I joined my own church when I moved and stuff. So always had a church family in my, in my, in my life never went without a church family ever. When I moved, the first thing I did is find me a church and a church family. Um, but the difference is now, I am now understanding the word better because now my vision is clearer. And I, I understand my awakening. Now I'm understanding the Bible on another level. You could read the Bible all day, 
but if you're not really understanding what it's telling you, it's still like a blur, you know? And the way I, I, I bring in the Bible in my life now, you know, I bring it in doses. Like I, I tr- okay, before when I was trying to learn the Bible, I would just read it just from like reading like a, like a novel. But now what I do is I read it in sections as what's going on in my life. So now I'm able to absorb it better because it's happening right then. So I need to get an answer, right? So I'm doing it. So I'm just doing it in a different way, but it's it's, it's understanding it better and I'm receiving it better because I'm breaking it up in, in different in different ways now. And that's how I'm learning it now. I think before when you were trying to read it from cover to cover, you're going to be halfway fall asleep. You know, you're not really listening. But God is actually talking to me now because now I seem like my my channel with him is better. So now I'm able to hear him better. So when I'm able to hear him better, I'm able to receive his word better. So it's a whole nother experience. It's always been there, but now it's just more of an awakening to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been something that, you know, as a family, you know, Amanda grew up in a largely unchurched place. And I grew up in what I like to call an over overly churched place. And um it's a both of us came from from different sides uh, of the spiritual journey that that weren't necessarily what i would call healthy for us and and we've been as a family kind of on on a bit of a journey um I'm, i'll be honest I, i'm the one to kind of charging ahead because i know that i know that i grew up with so much stuff that was unhealthy for me and i did not want to give that back to my kids i didn't want my kids to to grow up with with the same struggles that i did but as we, we discussed, you know, some of the stuff and, and a couple of the groups I'm in and some of the men I've talked to, one of the really interesting things is is just how much you can you can draw back to that adoption story mm-hmm. out of the story of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, now number one, the the one guy who I do not envy his position at all looking back is Joseph, right? Like mm-hmm. that guy was was like one of the, the star adoptive dads in, in, in all of <laughs> That's history. true. Good point. Yeah, yeah, at one point he he adopted God and I'm thinking I would be a horrible dad. <laughs> Cuz let me tell you something, my older kids, like when we had them when we were pretty young and they'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, you weren't this way, dad. <laughs> you weren't this way. I'm like, yeah, I'm learning, I'm learning, but but when you re- look at that that story across the history, across across all of that, you know, the the whole thing kind of comes back to a grand adoption story. Wow, I never really thought of it that way, but he sure did. Yeah, it's it's the whole idea of of being adopted in, into uh, back into God's family, and so yeah. And and here's the the big kicker is that that you have a choice in all that. And so when when I lay that lens over top of it to look at it, I go, this is such an interesting story, a different way to look at it. Like you're talking about, as time goes on, my life and I, I everything I read and I look at, it's it has a different a different um taste of that story mm-hmm. than what i'd heard in the past yeah sure does so, that comes yeah. with your learning that comes with you growing you know and that's why the bible is so amazing because you can read it again and again and it interprets different every time because it's based on where you at in your life it's not just the words that's in the book you know you, you can read the same words but how you interpret the words is what makes it resonate with you and make it stick and with you and make you want to apply it to your daily life it doesn't just do it because you read it you know, that it is more than just the read is where the read goes into here. Now, how does it work from here going back out? That's where a lot of people do it differently. And it's not saying it's wrong. It's just wherever you at in your life. So I'm, I'm curious, did that play into your um, into your choice of adoption at all in your your does your 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 spiritual life play into the adoption at all? Or is that just uh, just a. Uh, happened to be together in your life it was was one the cause of the other or are they just together they're just together because i don't know anything without it I, i've been with it since i was born like it's always been even my birth mother even i didn't know her but i when i came to learn her now um from through my family and my siblings she always been a woman of god you know god had always been in her life you know she you know she had rough little turbulence in her life of course because she had to do things especially doing what she did with me but it, she always had God in her as well as my adoptive family. So we it's always been in my life. I've never been separated. I don't even know how to separate it. 
Now, if I utilize it or if I did right with it, that's a whole nother story. But it always <laughs> been there, though. It always been there. Now, a lot of times they always say, you know, you may stray, but you always come back because you have a foundation. You know, you always had him in your life, so you know how to come back. So I could tell you that, you know, I strayed for a while, but I did come back, you know, as I got older. So. Yeah. I, do, I do think we all stray from time to time, especially when things get rough. You know, when when our daughter passed away, I was very, very angry with God. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was very angry. I, I couldn't even allow myself to step back into church. I was so angry. Mm-hmm. It took me a, a long time to get over some of that anger. And I still struggle with some of that to this day. I, I think everybody does. You know, we mm-hmm. all question and we all get angry from time to time. Yeah, I think as we get older, too, you know, as, uh, you know, people are passing away, you know, as they say, as you get older, you're going to have more and more people passing away that's closer and closer to you, right? Because we all get older. And it's just that the timing of your daughter, of course, is supposed to be opposite. You know, we are raised to think that you're, you're supposed to go before your children. And when it goes the opposite way, we question why is it going that way? You know, because you feel like she didn't get a chance to do a lot of things that you that we are supposed to do in our lives here on earth. You know, you want her to to, to get married or you know have kids. Oh, you know, we 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 are told that's how life's supposed to go. And as we get older, we realize that's not how life is. And it's hard to accept that because we've been trained to say life's supposed to happen exactly like this, 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 and this. And when it doesn't happen that way, you go, why? God, why? And he's like, I never told you that's how it's supposed to go. You know what I'm saying? That's not what he told us. That's the way the world is telling us how it's supposed to go, because that's the way we we were born in those belief systems. You know, and that was one of the things I, I touch on is that belief system that we were born into, because we don't have choices on how we're going to believe, because when we're born, our parents automatically dump in their belief systems in us. That's all they know. They don't know nothing else. And there's nothing wrong with that. But remember, when we get older, we supposed to start questioning, like, okay, well, do I like this because I like it or I do it because I was taught that by my parents? And then their parents taught them that and their parents taught them that. Like I always tell the story that um this grandmother used to cook chicken every holiday and she breaks the legs off the chicken and then she puts it in the pan and she puts it in the oven. So she her daughter saw that. So when she got older, she started making chicken. She did the same thing. She broke the legs off. She put it in the oven and cooked it. So then her daughter saw it. Her daughter did it. But her daughter decided to ask the question, Ma, why do we break the chicken legs off before we put it in the oven to cook it? She said, oh, because it tastes better. It just tastes better. So she happened to go back and ask her grandmother. She said, Grandma, why do you break the legs off the chicken? She said, because my oven was too small back then. So I had to break the legs off to fit in the oven. They thought it was a tradition. They thought it was because it tastes better. It was all in their head. It was only because the, the lady's <laughs> oven was too small and she had to break the legs off for it to fit. See how we believe things and we just keep it going? But somebody decided to finally ask why and come to find out it was just logistics. That's how we are in life. We just have belief systems that we just carry on and we think it's supposed to be that way. It's just because Somebody taught somebody that's all right taught somebody that somebody taught somebody. Had nothing to do with anything else. So I think a lot of us get caught up in that stuff. And I can understand that because I wouldn't want that for me. That's heartbreaking. When you give birth to a child, you don't want it, you want to go before them. You don't want to see that. So I got you. I totally get you, Amanda. Like, you know, God is just amazing. That's how He His plan is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he said, not lean on your understanding, you're to lean on his. And his understanding is so much bigger than ours. We don't even, we can't even touch why he does certain things. But we got to believe that it's for our better good. That's, I mean, that's why I had, I learned from a lot of things that happened with me. I don't question it no more because you do, you drive yourself crazy. Oh, absolutely. You know, my, my childhood was far from great um you know I, I had a really rough upbringing and it would have been really easy for me to keep up and i hate to say traditions because tradition sounds like you know something that's great um but it, it would have been really easy for me to keep up those generational curses with my mm-hmm. children um you know but we all have choices 
and you get to make those choices. But sometimes it's it's really hard. It is. To make those generational curses and to step away from harm and change things for your children. But I, I knew from growing up that, that that was my goal, is that I was going to be a mother, but I was not going to be my mother. Mm. And that's, it's very difficult for a lot of people, you know, and that's where our system comes in. Is it just, you know, we've had kiddos that, you know, their parents were in the system and their parents and their parents, and it just keeps going and going. And Mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, we get to break some of those. Mm. And, and, and I give it to you because a lot of times it's hard to break because the belief systems are really strong. They really strong and it's hard to break habits that, you were taught it was okay. It was normalized. So a lot of times, if you don't come out of your comfort zone, right? If you deal with the same people that do the same things and don't come out of it and see life differently and get exposed to different things, how do you know to change? You don't know because that's all you do. You hang with the same people. Your family's all in the same area. You all do the same thing. How would you know anything different unless you come out of that? And that's scary. A lot of people are scared to do stuff that's not normal to them. That's why they keep repeating it. Because think about it. If somebody was able to see something different and realize life is so much better over here, they would go, wait a minute. I'm doing this, but I could be doing this. Man, I'm going to do this. <laughs> but if you don't come out of it, if you don't have no exposure to it, how would you know anything different? Well, and, and, and that's what you did. You came out of it, right? And you exposed yourself to something different. And you saw life was different. And now you're teaching your kids that. That's how you break the cycle. Absolutely. I do know that in in my case, you know, breaking that cycle was so very important to me. But in doing that, it also broke some some family relationships because, you know, that's how my mother was was raised, mm-hmm. you know, so for her that this was normal. This is what you do. She's not doing anything wrong, you know, and her her favorite line was as well. I can't be doing that bad because you turned out so great. Well, that's 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 not it you know i i changed some things in spite of the way that i grew up you know so when you go to break those curses and things mm-hmm. it it breaks relationships too well you're gonna lose people absolutely you're gonna lose people anything you do change change means change and everybody's not ready to change because you're ready to change so the ones who are not ready you're going to lose them but that's part of the process you have to be ready for that that's one of the things I had a problem with because I want to hold on to everyone because I'm so loyal. I'm the loyal friend. And so I'm trying to hang on to everyone through all my changes. You can't. So I'm no, and not in the mean way. You just don't deal with them on a day-to-day basis. You check on them at Christmas, holidays, birthdays. How you doing? Hope you're living well, whatever. You know, you're not mad at them, but you can't take them with your journey because if you do, you're going to suffer yours. And you can't, if you have a purpose in life, your purpose is not going to, it doesn't mean you got to bring everybody with you, you know, and, and that's a, a thing a family member can't take. They feel because you're family, you're supposed to just do everything. No, Mm-mm. not when you're not doing right. Just because you're my cousin doesn't mean you're out there robbing people. Like we cousins, well, cuz I love you, but I'm not going to jail for you. I'm not going to be doing that stuff because we cousins, you know, that's the choice you made. That's your journey. But I don't have to do it because we blood related or even just related, period. I'm not taking that route with you. And that's a mistake the family thinks. Oh, we family. We think, no, no, I'm not going down with you. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not happening. Okay. You know, and, and just like your mother was, you said your mother said, I turned out right. But it's like, mom, I turned out right because I did my work. But I, I I'm not going to, I give you homage because you gave me birth. And without you, I wouldn't be here. And I wouldn't have the beautiful husband and family I have. But let's let's get it right here. <laughs> I had to do a lot of work to get where I'm at. You caught that part. I'm the beautiful husband, right? <laughs> you are. Yeah, I, I may joke with my husband a lot and say, you know, three hots and a cot and I'll get to sleep all night. But yeah, I, I'm with you, honey. I ain't going to jail for you. You know, just ain't doing it. But, I'm riding you know, down. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not riding. So, no, I'll, I'll, jump. I'll jump out first you know but that was that was one of the things with losing our daughter you know it puts so many things into perspective for my mm-hmm. life you know the mm-hmm. things that I was missing out on but mm-hmm. it also reminded me of the silly things like 
the people are hung up on. And it just, it really took my tolerance away for some of that. You know, these people coming to me, oh, I, I can't do this. Or my dog pooped on the floor today or this or that. I'm like, get up over it. Get up over it. There's so, so many things that are so much more important. And we get hung up on the little things instead of seeing the big picture. Well, see, and that's another thing, because your daughter is not going in vain, right? Because you learned so many lessons out of that experience, even though it was, it was heartbreaking. But I always try to see the civil lion in clouds, you know? And I always know, like when my dad passed, you know, I was raised as the only child. So it was me, my dad, and my mom, you know, that was it. And my dad, I was a dad's girl, you know? And when he left his world, I was just like, what in the world? Like, who does this? You know, who does this? <laughs> like, he was only 69. Like, what's going on here? You know, and I used to go visit him every day at the gravesite. I The gravesite was on my way home from work. And I could not pass. It, it, I couldn't correlate the, how can I pass my father every day and not go over there? Like, I don't, like, I'm driving by him every day. Now, I know he's physically there, but his, you know, his spirit is gone. But I couldn't separate the fact that I had this habit I had for 42 years that was broken in one day. And that's what happens when you lose somebody. You have a habit that you had for how many years they've been there. And one day the habit's broke and you're supposed to just go on with your life. And that's the problem that we had. That's called grieving, right? So when I'm passing him, I'm like, my car has to go into the cemetery and I have to go see him for an hour at a time. And my mother kept on saying, Gene, you don't have to go there every day. You know, he knows you got to go live your life. You know, but I said, but mommy, it's so hard to just go past and just know that he's laying there. I just can't do it. And it took me a while to like separate. And then eventually I started, you know, and then I kind of weaned myself off. But I get you. Like, it's hard to I have a habit of being in somebody's life. And then one day they just gone. It's hard to break habits. And that's how it is. So it I get you. It really is. Yeah. After our daughter passed, I spent months every day at the cemetery. See? I would bring my blanket I and, and I would bring the books that she was reading. And I, I would just, I would lay there and I'd bring her favorite food and I'd bring her favorite drinks and I would, I would dump her drinks into the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, her body's there. Right. And that's the only we see, there. right? That's our yeah. understanding. So that's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's our understanding. We only understand what we see. And we see is a, a, a we saw when that body went in that ground. That's the last time I saw it. She, she's right here. So mm -hmm. I'm going to connect to that because she's here. Even though I know her spirit is gone, but my understanding is she's here. So I got you 110% because I did the same thing. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we drive past the cemetery at least once or twice a week, you know, and when we go by, I don't stop every time now. I still visit frequently, but not like I used to. But even even our children, bye, sissy, we love you, you know, because we're going by and they, mm -hmm. they see that and that's become part of part of our world. Yeah, yeah, same thing. And mine is across the street from a gas station, a, a, a Sheets gas station. My dad is a third pump to the left, and he's right in the front. So when I pump gas, I can see him right there. He's right in the front of the cemetery, right across the street from the gas station. So I always used to pump right near in that third pump so I could be able to see him right there. So I, I feel you, Amanda. I, I, I totally feel you. And I know people think that's crazy, but... You know, everybody got to do what's right for them to make them feel better about their situation. So nobody's wrong with this. It's just when you do what you write is for you. Well, and I, I firmly believe where you cannot have grief without having love. Mm. That's a good point. Very good point. Grief is love because you love that person. That's why you're grieving, right? Absolutely. Good point. Yeah. 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 That was something else, but yeah. And as we get older, we're gonna deal with it more and more. That's part. Of, that's part of life. Yes, as we, we get are. older, it's gonna be more and more. Oh yeah, and, and then eventually it's gonna be us. Yeah, and you just you don't think that it will happen to you because it's so so unnatural to lose a child before before you. That's just not mm -hmm. the order of things. But it definitely puts life into perspective that it can happen to anybody. So y'all must have a lot of love to give because y'all have so many children y'all been taking care of, you know, 
You know, there's always the option that we're just insane, Regina. <laughs> we are a little crazy. That's okay, too. <laughs> I think we all got some cray-cray in us. We all got some cray-cray. <laughs> more interesting that way. Yeah, after, what, almost 30 kids come through the house? So there you go. We've definitely lost every bit of sanity we ever had, but... But I don't think that's I'm a blessing, though. That's God's blessing that y'all have that ability to do what you do. That's not an easy task to take on other children and not just other children, but other children with problems because they all coming from situations that are broken. Well, and, they and wasn't. They wouldn't be in your house. Yep. And and no matter what was going on, being taken away from their parents, that that's trauma. You know, and Major kids, trauma. they love their parents. It, it doesn't matter the, the house situation, what was going on. That's their family. That's what they know. That's where their heart is. You know, even if mama's not doing what she's supposed to do or dad is not doing what he's supposed to do, that's still mama and dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's always going to be that love and there's always going to be that bond, you know. And so if you can try to keep those connections for kids, that's the best thing. You know, I want as many people as possible loving and rooting my children on. Mm-hmm. You know, and and every every kid deserves that. Yeah, and, and that's why I said God bless y'all because y'all doing something that is needed. Y'all doing something that our world needs to be more um sensitive to that, you know, you're taking in people, but you're you that's stressing you out sometimes. I know y'all had some nice y'all be in y'all room, like what in the world did we what are we doing? <laughs> I know you have to because it, I mean you're only human. And you got to take on other people's problems. And that's what you're doing. And you got to like be therapists, you know, and it's kind of like you only could do so much. You got to get help yourself because you're like, look, that's a lot on us. We got a guy. We got a guy we talked to. But I had to last no way. We had six people in our bedroom. You know, and only two of them were adults. We had four (laughs) kids in our bedroom last night, you know, but and one of them slept on my shoulder all night long. And I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and thought, I ain't going to be able to stand up. I ain't going to be able to stand up. I hurt too bad now. <laughs> well, I'm like, God bless y'all. I really, I mean, I'm being honest. God bless y'all. I, I keep doing what you're doing because we need more people like y'all out there to help these children, you know, that are, you know, one of the things that I was doing with my book is I was doing proceeds to go to the um, Dave Thomas Foundation um, because. You know, the story about Dave Thomas with Wendy, owner, he's adopted and he believes in the foster care system. And, you know, he was saying that how many kids age out of the foster care system and they literally just say goodbye, you know, have a good life. And they don't give you nothing else. They don't at the 18. That's a wrap. And what are these kids supposed to do? They still children and they out there in this world with no no goddess and no parents or nothing. So his foundation is, uh, you know, does a lot with the foster care and aging out of the foster care system. So for y'all to be able to do that, these kids are blessed because there's a lot of kids that age out and they they on their own. Yeah, just a couple months ago, we actually spoke to. Uh, Re- uh, it wasn't even a couple months ago. It was just a few weeks ago. We did Rita an Sornan with the CEO from the Dave Thomas Foundation. Okay, there you go. You know. Yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that story has always always been one that I've I've heard since I was a kid, and it's funny now because I, I talk to the younger generation of folks, and they don't know who Dave Thomas is. They know who Wendy says, but they don't know that. Yeah, uh, I know the owner <laughs> and his story. They don't know so much about that story. It's well, they're going to Dave Thomas. I mean, if they're going to Wendy's now. They actually have it on the walls, like adoption the word adoptions on the wall and Dave Thomas Foundation, because the new ones they redoing. They have all that on the wall, and then they actually have a. Um, donation like a wendy's you buy the little that little card and get the free frosties and the donations go to yeah so now it's more prevalent they put it in the stores now so yeah, yeah. the younger generation doesn't see it though because it's not on their phone screen <laughs> <laughs> they don't read the walls in the store right they don't read the walls in the restaurant they eat their food and go they gotta stare at a screen that's what they do well you know Re- regina i just want to thank you for spending some time with us today and telling your story because you know Adoption has has its struggles and it has some really horrible stories. We've heard some horrible stories about people who've been adopted into horrible situations and it's been terrible at times for people, but it's also had some really beautiful stories as well. And I'm I'm glad to hear that that you ended up in a family where you felt loved and and you you have not only 
survived that part of your life, but then decided to, now that you've retired, to go ahead and, and create something new and big and beautiful and help the world. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, um, Jason and Amanda, for letting me be on your platform. And like I said, God bless y'all and keep doing what y'all doing. Yep. Yeah. You as well. Exactly. Yeah. And and we'll have links to all of your stuff in uh, in the podcast notes and for uh, for anybody who uh, wants to scroll down and look, it'll be in your in the podcast notes, or you can look at uh, over at uh, Foster Care. I like I can't remember the name of my own website, FosterCareNation.com. <laughs> if you click on the podcast blog and, and find the the post that has this one in it, it will uh, you'll you'll be able to go down and see it all right there as well. Okay. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Regina's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you would like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. Don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me a Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as much or as little as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at Foster Care Nation. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.